This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts Podcast with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. If you know me, you know how obsessed I am with live performance. To me, nothing replaces being in a theater and the lights going down and the orchestra starts to play and that first moment of magic. And I know the way I feel about theater, some people feel about sports or opera or dance or comedy or food. And what if there was a place that you could go and find out which live events are going on near you that night? And then for a discount price, you can get off your couch, put down that clicker, and experience the magic that is live performance. Well, there is a place, goldstar.com. You just go to that website, you type in your city, and every amazing live event will be listed at discount prices. Theater, dance, comedy, film, food, concerts, sports. No more staying home. You are going to go out and build memories and experiences that expand your mind and heart through live performance with goldstar.com. Goldstar is in 26 cities around the country with over 8 million members already signed up to find out what event is going on near you. So go to goldstar.com, get out of your house and build memories that are magic for you and your family. Expand your mind, expand your hearts. Go see live performance by using goldstar.com. Tell them Alana sent you. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind the scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. When he was seven years old, he started getting laughs with his impeccable Jimmy Stewart impression. And he's been getting huge laughs ever since with his incredible comedic skills. Welcome, star of Dear Evan Hansen, Will Rowland. A-OK. everyone. My guest today is the award-winning Broadway star, Will Rowland. Before being cast as Jared Kleiman in Dear Evan Hansen, Will began his career in the theater with roles in Billy Witch, Wonderful Town, and The Black Suits, to name a few. He stars in the film One Penny. On TV, he's appeared in Red Oaks and the Mysteries of Laura. He won the Broadway.com Audience Choice Award for Funniest. Favorite funny performance. I think it's important that we say favorite and okay. not best or funniest. I agree. Because it feels like it was a popularity contest that yes. I won. <laughs> and you won. And let's let's underline and highlight that fact. Favorite. And it, by the way, let's be honest. It's nice to be nominated, but it's better to win. 
They're both good. Do you agree, though? Yes. Winning is better. He hosts a hilarious vlog about his life on stage and off called Sincerely Me, which allows viewers backstage access to life with the Dear Evan Hansen cast. He has a cabaret show called Loser Songs, an evening with Will Rowland. He's an accomplished musician. He is a graduate of NYU, or New York University, where he majored in musical theater. He's talented and hilarious. Welcome, Will Rowland, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. That was like the nicest anything anyone's ever read about me. Is that true? Well, you can take it home. I, I'm gonna. I'm you gonna frame, frame it. it. This is. I'm, oh. I've never been described as an award-winning Broadway actor. Before, you are. And it, you are. That's a pretty big deal. It is a big deal. <laughs> wow. In fact, from now on, every bio. That's, that's how it. it begins. That's it. You I should gotta demand update that. my own bio. <laughs> You should demand that. <laughs> I just, I worry. People know that I write my own bio. I worry. You know, everybody who's ever submitted a bio knows that you get an email from a company manager that's like, please send us your bio, 75 words or less. And so if it begins with Will Roland is an award-winning Broadway actor. Well, this is how you... Everyone will know. This is what my guests do to, mm -hmm. to do the old bait and switch. They're like, let me have my people send it. Oh, and then a moment yes. later, from willroland at gmail.com. I didn't write that. <laughs> I don't know. That's so weird that my people have the same email address as me. I can't explain it. That's how much they love me. <laughs> I'm their only client. Well, I just have to say that everything I said is true. Let's start with that. And uh, I feel you're one of these people, and this may be true for anyone who meets you. There's something about you that makes everyone feel like they've known you for a very long time, even if they haven't. Is that something other people have said? You know, it's it's uh, it, it rings a bell a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a thing that I, um, I, I would love, you know, it's the kind of thing that I would love people to say about me. So maybe I like, maybe I subconsciously try to make that happen because yes. it's a very, it's like the kind of thing that I want. I want to be like, He's so easy to talk to. He's such a regular guy. He's so warm. <laughs> He's so warm. He's so friendly. Well, you've kind of had an extraordinary career for the very short amount of time you've actually been a grown-up and could have a career. Before we get into Dear Evan Hansen, which is a remarkable thing that's happened both to you and the universe yeah. in the last couple of years, where did you grow up and what was the relationship to performing in the arts in your home? So I, when I was when I was little, we lived uh, we lived right here in Manhattan. Uh, we lived in the village. Known um, as the greatest city in the world. Great. Thank you, Lin-Manuel Miranda. You're welcome. And we, and it's true. Uh, so we, I lived there until I was eight. Do you have um, a memory of that? I do. Yeah, I remember it very distinctly. I, you know, I went to I went to New York City Public School. I went to PS41, right on 11th Street and Sixth Avenue. I know um, it so well. Yeah, and we lived on uh, we lived at 808 Broadway, which is 11th and Broadway. Um, and I remember distinctly my like my commute straight. It was like a straight shot down 11th Street, and I had such distinct memories of that that when I uh, eventually like went to when I moved to NY. You like I moved into my dorm. I was very disoriented because uh, on all maps, uh, up is north, and out my front door, up like was the way to school. So I just like little so will. much of little my will. life. Yeah, not, little will not Roland. college will. Yeah, you know, college will was a little bit like. Wait a second, I don't. I think I'm going north right now. I it took me a like a full couple like weeks to sort of be like, oh no, like that street that I remember so viscerally actually ran east west. That's right. I had to like rewire well, my well, brain. Well, known fact about. <laughs> New York City, uh, generally the odd-numbered streets head east-west, mm -hmm. and the non-odd-numbered streets, the even numbers, like 20th Street, goes right. west-east. So that's a good right. little thing to know for exactly. people who don't live here, um, or it sounds like you had to get a compass And the even sorts. numbers are, yes. are always on the south side of the street, for the most part. The even number addresses. The even number addresses, that's exactly. Right. Like, like 200 Where is we on are the south today. side of the street. That's right. Yeah. Well, that was great. Thank you so much for coming in. <laughs> yeah, this, this was, was great. It's been really nice. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, I'm done. I got nothing. That's everything. That is, that is everything. <laughs> so the point being, you started out in the city. Yes. Now, the East Village is sort of known, uh, it, it has had many lives, right? Mm -hmm. Every decade, the East Village kind of becomes something else. Yes, right now it's very chic. It's very wealthy people pretending they have no money and like being bohemian. Um, but when I lived there, it was very much in transformation. It was, it was, I was born in 1989, um, and we lived there until 1998. So in that time, uh, New York was very much in an economic boom and Rudy Giuliani was mayor. 
fire yeah. and you know we were we were broken windows policing and uh, and the east village like when i was born was actually like kind of a dodgy place but by the time we moved away uh, was like very nice and we like you know my father like sold our apartment and we made like a lot of money from when we bought it but then we found out that like three years later someone had made like ten times the amount of money wah, that wah. we sold it yes. for yes we didn't uh, do so it's become great. like uh, you know the most expensive real estate in the world uh so, but when I was there, it was like very sort of unassuming. And my 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 father, my mother has always been is full time mom. Okay. Um, and my dad is um is an antique dealer and auctioneer and appraiser. Um, and so like very much in my life, auctioneer. Like, like do I hear four thousand? Yeah, do I hear 4, all of it, all oh. of the above. And he does. Are like, you we, good at that? Can you do I'm that? I'm pretty good at it. You know, okay. I did it for for BCFA at Dear Evan Hansen. You did. I did on um, when we did our our like collecting in April or whatever it was. Um, every night we would take the cast that had been sawed off of Ben Platt's arm and we would sign sometimes it. Sometimes his arm. And sometimes his arm. Sometimes the, the whole bitters. arm too. You know, so they could make a clone <laughs> Ben at home. A million dollars for the <laughs> arm of Tony Award winner Ben Platt. That would have been great. Yeah. Um, but and I you didn't. know what? He's so nice. He would have. He would have. He would give it literally an arm and a leg. For BCFA. That's right. Um, but yeah, no, we made, we made a lot of money. It was like really great. We raised like $100,000 just selling like, you know, sweaty arm casts. That's the but best I, feeling But I was the, the auctioneer. So give us a little like... Oh, all right. Okay, so let's. Uh, I'm going to auction this uh, this bottle of Smart Water. All right, so uh, so Smart Water. If you're listening, sponsor always, us. Always, <laughs> always happy to have you. I would love to have you here. Makes Gla- you smarter. How do we say glaceux? Glaceux. Uh, yes. Glaceux. Ouais. So lot one is a glaceux Smart Water. It measures about eight inches high. Uh, this is this one's about three quarters full. Uh, let's start the bidding at two hundred dollars. Do I have two hundred anywhere? I've got two hundred bid with the lady across the table. I've got two hundred bid. Oh, and the gentleman on the other side of the booth is three hundred. I've got three hundred outside the booth. Do I hear four? I've got three hundred. Oh, I've got four. Forty with the lady in the headphones. Forty with the lady in the headphones. I've got four, and I've got five hundred outside. Five hundred looking for five. Looking for six. I've got five hundred looking for six. Six with the lady in the headphones. Six hundred going once, going twice. Sold the glass of smart water for six hundred dollars oh, plus buyer's premium. My goodness. <laughs> By the way, I mean so far so counting. good on the Broadway career front, but not for nothing. Got a backup. Got a backup. Got a backup. It's a terrible industry. It's an industry in decline. I don't want to. Yeah, no, I don't want to be an auctioneer. Was there um, a, an auction? Is, is there a home for this business that people can go there into? There is. It's okay. Roland Auctions. And did you hang out there as a kid? Yeah, I have many memories of uh, like warehouses uh, just filled with like uh, like old. You know, the, I, the smell of old wood is a very like visceral thing for me. I you know like I walk into a room. I'm like like an old person's house and it smells like my childhood. I had like a little antique tricycle that I used to like tool around in, you know, we, and we've been in a lot of like locations. We've been on 11th Street in like eight different addresses. And then we had a warehouse in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. and We had a warehouse in Sunset Park and we had a, a location out in Locust Valley on Long Island. And, you know, so did your been... dad, it's your dad, your mom, you said was at home with yeah. you. Did he teach you stuff about the you value know, like of a stuff little bit, and yeah. what things are? I and... mean, you can smell silver and and, uh, you know, I know a little bit about, like, art valuation and, and you know, it's sort of the, like, gross, uh, like, the, the, the very commerce side of fine art um, I know a lot about in terms of, like, how to price a painting and how to appraise, uh, you know, uh, jewelry and silver and, you know, how to weigh things and how to, you know, uh, just stuff like that. Was there a moment in your... Do you have siblings, by the way? I do. I have a little sister. So where, Her name is Valerie. Where's Valerie? Valerie is... Uh, she was working for Roland Auctions for a while. Okay. And the last year, she started working for Christie's, which is a much more upscale place to work. So not a competitor as much as a... No, because it's such a large ecosystem. You know, it's the, it's the kind of thing where, like, Christie's will sell in a day what we sell annually. Um, so it's not like, you know, they, they, they're they like, why she moved we to don't Christie's. want this. Exactly. <laughs> that sounds better. Yeah. No, she's got like a crazy job, actually, because she's like she's front desk, like she's, you know, reception or client, client, client service, client relations, whatever it is. But she like sometimes it's like this is so and so and he's coming into the gallery today. This is a picture of him and he's going to not ask for the, the specialist when he gets here. But you need to call her immediately when he because shows up so that they can person. run into each other in the gallery and she can walk him through a specific way so that when he sees his painting, he's not upset with where it's been hung. (laughs) This is true. Right. Like that's a whole other, that's a whole other world. Because, you know, they have like, they have a Da Vinci that they're selling right now. It's like a hundred million dollar painting. Where is that? Uh, it's actually in London at the moment, okay. but it'll be back very soon, right. and we can see it before. That's it's the, the last. There are only 20 surviving Da Vinci oil paintings 
All of them are in museums. This was the very last one to come out of a private collection. And and they got it, and they're very happy about it. That is unbelievable. Should yeah. we share with everyone that I was the owner of that? Yeah, I, I, is, is it that you? Weird? Well, yeah. you sold it to right now. It's owned by a Russian oligarch. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you want to buy something oligarch. beautiful yeah. but pay for something evil, uh, this is... is the painting for you. <laughs> Moving on. So that's fantastic, and I could talk about that. And we will. So could I, but it's terrible. For a million hours. So was there ever a moment where you thought that's what you were going to do? No, never that. Never that. You know, my my family, uh, I feel like some people have these stories of like adversity. Uh, I do not within my home like have that story. Like my parents are incredibly supportive and incredibly like they're, I could like go onto the stage. I could like take a dump and they would like just, just never stop clapping. They're really, I mean, you know, but I think everyone needs someone like that. Well, let's talk about that because this is a business that many people go into for all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. Some do it because they felt like they never got enough or never got approval and they're kind of seeking it yeah. constantly. Some people got so much love and approval that that they needed on at, at a sort of constant. <laughs> a little bit in that in that vein. Yeah. So just, we're just keeping it going. Exactly. I've when got a reservoir to, to fill we with compliments. Keep it All right. <laughs> you helped today were, hugely with that intro. <laughs> well, mom and mom and pa Roland called me and they were like, listen, <laughs> our boy is an award winning Broadway actor. <laughs> So let's talk Keep saying about it a lot. this. I, I will, my love. It's times. so done. So you move. I did. Yeah, we moved to Long Island when I'm eight. Um, and I, when do you realize I sing better than almost everyone else, and I'm really funny? You know, I don't realize that for a long time. The funny thing, uh, the funny thing, really sort of rears its head in middle school. Um, I transfer from uh, the Locust Valley Public School to Friends Academy, Ooh. which is a very nice. Very college posh. preparatory school yes. um, on the North Shore of Long Island, the Gold Coast. It's Gatsby okay. country. Um, I went there basically for free because we were really broke. But okay. like people pay $30,000 a year to go there. And now much more. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Now it's like, it's, it's incredible. Um, but so I went to this school and uh, they had, um, first of all, they had like a spectacular theater program there. Um, but like, were you super smart? And that's why they took you and were happy to um, have I was, you? yeah. No, I was like, uh, I did like really well on like tests and stuff. It was actually an amazing story um, because. I applied. Basically, my dad he works with this uh, this uh, sort of socialite in our town. Who's this wonderful woman? Her name is Barry Osborne, and uh, my dad was doing a charity auction for the church in the town where Barry is like you know very active. The person, yeah, the St. John's of Laddingtown. And she, I was like ten, and he like brought me with him to this like you know charity event. He's like, come see you know bring your son to work day. It's on a weekend, and I'm you know you can see me do an auction, and you know to, I think he was actually donating appraisal services. Was that's you know, very so cool. Ladies could come in with their jewelry and he would weigh it and stuff like that. So I was there and I was like, you know, very like loquacious, uh, you know, active uh, kid. Very sort of like, I wasn't like running around, but I would I would just talk a mile a minute. Um, and Barry found that very enchanting. And she was like, Bill, you have to send that son of yours to France Academy. Um, and he was like, oh no, it's too expensive. Well, you should just try it. So I applied to go in fifth grade. I applied, I got in. They offered us a financial aid package. It was still incredibly expensive. And we were like, oh, no way. Um, so a year later, you know, Barry's like, so is William at French Academy now? My, my, my dad says, uh, oh, no, it was too expensive and we couldn't do it. She but goes, well, thank you, Barry. Ha- have him apply again, Bill. Have him apply again. So I applied again to start in sixth grade. And I, uh, I got in and it was too expensive despite the financial aid. And we said no. And then uh, about a week after we declined, uh, my dad got a phone call. And it was John Gambling, John Gambling, local radio personality and head of the board of trustees at Friends Academy. And he's like, hello, is this Bill Rowland? And my dad was like, yes, it is. And well, I'm John Gambling, and I'm on the board of trustees here at Friends Academy. Uh, I've received a, a phone call from a prestigious alumna of ours, a Miss Barry Osborne, and she's instructed me to give you whatever you ask for on this phone call. Um, and so we worked out a deal whereby I paid like a, a, a pittance. One dollar. To go, basically. I mean, yeah. Yes, yes, relatively. One dollar. Um, <laughs> I paid one dollar a year to yeah. go to Friends Academy. Yeah. Um, and and it was a very um, it it's um, 
it's inspired a strong belief in sort of like faith and like uh, or fate. You know, like the sort of did like there, there's like... an order in the universe. Things are supposed to happen and they do. And did you feel like you fit in? Um, yeah, I loved it there. Um, but I was uh, I was very like I was very smart and very clever. Um, and I was like a real douchebag. Um, and I very quickly realized like, oh, like when I say the first thing that comes into my mind about that kid, everyone laughs, mm-hmm. um, which made me into like kind of a bully, like kind of a terrible bully. Um, and it's it's experiences that I draw on in the play because like I think uh, I had a few sort of interventions in my behavior that I luckily like sort of I, I reformed, I repented and sort of like started being a nice person. Um, but I think like in an alternate universe, like nobody sort of gave me the feedback that I needed to hear. And I just went on like being a douchebag for the rest of my life. Right. Um, and, and I think that, uh, yeah, no, so I, I, that's like that's my sort of. That's intense. That tale was very intense. Yes. So yeah. when you look back on that time, like, do you do you feel like you were able to apologize to people at the time? Do you feel like you know many of them? Uh, yeah, I sort are of dead. I sort of. And they're all dead. <laughs> Did I, I say I insulted them. them? I actually killed them. I murdered them. Yes, I murdered. Murder. The murder. It's not called muck duck. Um, but I, so I went to, uh, no, a lot of them became my friends actually in high school. Um, you know, I, I sort of, I, I, I made very active efforts to repair things that I had, that I had done. And, you know, it's a time in your life where you forgive and forget. Like you're, you're, you're 13 years old and like somebody was mean to you last week, but they're nice to you this week. And you're just happy they're not being mean to you anymore. But that was when I started doing, uh, that was when I started doing theater. It started with choir for me in like third grade and I like really enjoyed choir, but by the time I got to Friends Academy, they had this spectacular theater and this spectacular theater program. Um, and, and did I was you start like, getting cast? I did. I was. I was. I was. I, we did the middle school play my my sixth grade year, which was a bunch of original works written by the faculty there. And then uh, at near the end of the year, they they selected uh, six middle schoolers to be in the high school production. That's a big deal, Will. It was a big deal. Um, and I. <laughs> And it Alana. remains, it was my it's first still, big break. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I was cast in Once on this Island, which you look at me and you're like, really? They're oh. bringing it back right now. You know, it was. It in was, no small part. You're picturing you. the Friends Academy production of Once on this Island sure. right now. It was more diverse than you think. Really? It wasn't as much of a crime okay. as you think it is. Okay. I mean, I was still in it. So, uh, you know, as were people who but looked like me. But not everyone was Will Rowland. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So there, there it that, was Will. not as much of a, looking back, I'm like, oh, uh, you know what? It's a great show, and uh, we got we got most of the way there. So sure. it's <laughs> well. When you go see it, it's gonna you're gonna be oh, filled with emotion. Oh, I'm gonna just be like mouthing along and weeping totally. the whole time. It's one of my favorites. It's beautiful. So then, so then in high school you continue. Yes, that was I was in like I you're jumped in, in with both feet. Department. I was like, yeah, and by you know I was doing all the shows, and I was like, you know, I was a freshman, and I was like, oh, like what am I doing in the spring? Like you're doing the middle school play, but I'm not in middle school anymore. Like can I can I assist on that? And they're like, well, usually we don't have freshmen assist on the middle school play. And I was like, please. And they're like, okay, fine. And then like there was the the summer camp at Friends Academy called Artist Institute. Um, and they were like, oh, we don't usually have, you know, I, I didn't want to be uh, like a student anymore. And I was like, oh, can I be, uh, you know, we, we called them interns instead of counselors. So I was like, can I be, an, you know, an, an, in, in the intern training program? Uh, and they're like, oh, we don't really usually have ninth graders in it. And I was like, no, please. <laughs> so I was like all that. And, I, and then by senior year, it was like I was taking like four like classes and then like choir and chamber choir and music history and an opera appreciation class that was me and three other people and took place at a lunchtime you know like and are you coming into the city to see broadway shows is yeah that i'm part coming in on the family? weekends yeah. and you know and school trips and we did like uh you know my senior year we did this amazing trip to london or to, to england i should say because we did our first we went for uh, we spent seven nights there and we saw seven shows and our first weekend there, we like landed at Heathrow and we drove straight to Stratford. We went to the Royal Shakespeare Company Seven and months. we saw that was this is when they were doing all of the histories in rep. So we saw like we got there like Friday evening and we had dinner and we saw uh, Henry the Sixth Part One. 
And then we got up, we had breakfast, we saw Henry VI Part Two, we had lunch, we saw Henry VI Part Three, and then we had dinner and we saw Richard III. All with the same cast, all with the same, you know, scenic design and, and design concept. It was like, and we were like, because we were jet lagged and like, it was, it was like the theater was everywhere. Also, you didn't understand a word any of them were saying. <laughs> no, it was great because we got a synopsis before <laughs> right, each one because right. we had this great teacher. You know, her name is Tracy Foster. She was spectacular and you give her, you give your children to her. It's all about the teachers. It really, really, really is. Um, and then we saw, um, we saw that production of Equus with Daniel Radcliffe and Richard Griffiths, and we saw um, we saw not Sleep No More. We saw a production of Faust by the company that did Sleep No More. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. Too bad they'll never bring anything like this to New York. Right. And they did, and it's a big success. Good for them. And we saw Corum Boy before it came to Broadway. We closed it out with The Tempest on the West End with Patrick Stewart as Prospero. And it was like the most for me at like 18 years old. And I had like gotten into NYU and I was going to study voice. And I was like, you know, like who knows? Like I want to study this, but who knows what I want to do? And like after that trip, I was like, I want to be a fucking actor. This is the most amazing thing in the world I've ever seen. I was like so juiced. Yeah, it is all about the teachers. And yeah, so like we did, we would go see, we went on that trip and I would go see, you know, shows on the weekends when I was here. It was really nice to be like in and around this city. Were you obsessive or passionate? I would say I was passionate. I wouldn't say I was obsessive. I've always sort of uh, been really uh, turned off by, uh, and this was, and this is, again, this is the bully in me, like always mm-hmm. existing, but I've always been really turned off by like people in my life who were like, theater is everything and all and all of the above. And I'm like, you know, like I'm pursuing this professionally and like there's a lot of other things in my life. Right. And like if you can't find some other things in your life, you should look harder for them. <laughs> like I, it's the most wonderful thing, you know, like the pursuit of this craft, but also like, you know, Broadway and the community is all great, but like there's so much other stuff out there. Right. Um, you know, I'm like I'm like a big sci-fi nerd. Um, I'm like a you know I don't know like I have were this you a whole... video game kid? Yeah, big time, big okay. time. Yeah, no, I, I had like a bad World of Warcraft addiction my junior and senior year of high school. That was like, like really with an fun. intervention that had to happen, um, or you were able to still do okay. It was in a self-induced and... intervention. It was sort of like one day you could like you can you can type played into the game and it'll tell you like how much you've played. And after two years of like being a subscriber on the game, I had played 88 days. And I was like, that's a lot of days. Wait a second, there's only been like 88 days. It's like five or 600 days. days, (laughs) And 80 of them were spent logged into this game. That's messed up, man. So I had to land. Well, once I factored in how much I'd been sleeping and how much time I spent eating and how much time is like truly unavailable to me to play World of Warcraft, like at school, I was like, oh my God, this is a huge problem. So you go to NYU where you begin to learn craft? Yeah, big time. It was, um, so I had, you know, I had, I feel like I had had like a great great foundation of like the really fundamental things about like what is acting by what doing is theater by being in plays yeah and, and we had like great you know great we had great plays. classes and yeah I'd seen great plays and done plays I had a lot of like on the job training as it were and then when I went to NYU they were very technique focused and very focused on like you know you don't do any shows your freshman year and you don't and I was at the Steinhardt school so I got a music degree actually um, and I went into my first voice lesson, which, you know, I had like an hour a week for four years. And he was like, oh, have you taken any, like, have you ever taken voice lessons? I was like, oh, no, not really. Like, I've been to some shows and, you know, but I've never like had a voice lesson. I've like learned songs and sang songs. Um, and I've been in choirs. And uh, that, I think, was like really valuable to me. As I started to learn a new technique, I did not have to forget what I had been doing proper because I didn't really have anything. You know, right. I just sort of like they weren't ah, undoing you know, bad yeah. habits. You exactly. had no right. I, you know, I had bad habits, but they weren't solidified in like, oh, that's what I do. It was just like, oh, this this is really hard to do, and it was like, oh, great, let's spend the next three years like making that easier. So when you were at school, did you feel competitive with others? Were you like, oh, I love this is a this is my new family? What was the vibe in that department? It was very much like a continuation of the high school vibe a little bit. There were 21 kids in the class. And after like a year and a half, you knew like everything about everybody. And like, you know, we sort of would get to that point where it's like I knew the four gestures that you would do when you sing. Um, and like, you know, oh, you know it's like. four gestures. Uh, I, I would after <laughs> I a year five. and a half in yeah. class. Yeah. <laughs> I have, for me, it's corn cobs. You won't be able to see it on, through the microphone. But it's, uh, do you want these corn cobs? Because I could give you these corn cobs. 
I'll take these corn cobs away if you don't want them, but I think you want these corn cobs. But those are the hand gestures it was with this. which you express your songs. Yeah, there was one girl in our class who had blades. Her just like her hands would be, they would just be convex. So when she would sing. Exactly. Her right. hands would, they would go down Does Jared or they would go forward. And Dear Evan Hansen have, I'm trying to think, because I have seen it more than once. Do you have a I'm very, specific hand I'm very gesture? illustrative. Mm. Jared loves to count. So mm. does Will. Will loves, like, if you give Will a line, with a list in it, Will will instinctively at the table read count those things on his hands. That's it's one of his thing. favorite acting gestures. Great. Um, that's a new one since I got rid of the corn cobs. The other thing that Jared loves to do is yes. illustrate. So, uh, you know, I will say, uh, that's why I got to move these buttons, mess- gesture to buttons, before the bottom drops out, gesture to the bottom of the Connor Murphy memorabilia market. I also love to place Sabrina Patel in her wristbands, Matt Holzer in his t-shirts. They're all like, everything needs right. a place. And that actually developed because I studied sign language. I studied American Sign Language in college, and it was a thing that I started developing it started bleeding over into my acting classes because in sign language, when you're talking about multiple topics, you place them in space. So you say like, oh, this is Alana and she's blonde and blah, 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 and all these things. And you'd be like, and this is Will and he has glasses and blah, blah, blah. And so it'll be like, you know, and Will and Alana would like me. And so you will actually. So you like, have Will on the right and Alana on the exactly. left. Exactly. And then when we meet, you move it all to the center. You move them together the, and then you right. gesture to them right. as a group. And like all that stuff is like that sort of bled into my acting. Um, in a way that I didn't really realize until I was like doing it. And I was like, oh, this is not a bad habit. You know, someone will tell me to stop doing it someday and I'll stop doing it that day. Right. If it's not right. <laughs> right. If it's know, not right I for know. the guy. Go back to doing it the next day. So when you get out of school, do you already have an agent? Are you looking at backstage? Like, how does one begin when you get out of NYU? It's the Steinhardt? Mm-hmm. The Steinhardt School, yes, which is the School of Culture, Education, and Human Development. Yeah, so it's it like is. the School of Miscellaneous Studies nice. at NYU. Uh, we'll take your check. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Where is, what was her name? Where's Barry Osborne when we need oh, her? Oh, I know. Seriously. Barry. What was funny was that, uh, so uh, Jim Dolan, who was the owner of the Rangers in Madison Square Garden, he built the theater at my high school. It was called the Helen A. Dolan Center. That's his grandmother's name. Because I went to school with all the Dolan kids. And then I went to college with all the Dolan kids. And uh, he was like, there's no good recording studio here. So while I was there, they like gut renovated the sixth floor at Steinhardt. And they built the James L. Dolan Recording Studio, which is the most technologically advanced recording studio in New York. And like, That's no one's allowed into it. Right. <laughs> At least you not guys the students. Were, or oh, God, I've, I've never it. been inside. Wait, but so who? Who uses it? I don't know. Let's go. Let's, <laughs> Let's go. go. Let's go. We're, we're going, in. We're going right in. now. So when you get out, do you have an agent? No, I don't have. Um, what I have is uh, I have a few teachers and writers who uh, really believe in me and also have some professional stuff that they're doing. So um, th- so I graduate. I, go, I have a showcase. Um, I take a few meetings, um, one of which is with the people who are now my manager, but they did not sign me that day. Um, they were like, oh, you know, keep us posted about what you do. The first thing I did was go back to the summer camp. It was my, like, uh, let's see, I started teaching there in 2004, so 2011. It's my seventh summer teaching there. Um, and w- that summer, one of the teachers there has written a play. And we actually have, like, crowdfunded, we're going to take the play to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So my first thing that I did out of college was go teach at six weeks of a summer camp, then immediately pack up with some of my students and some of my colleagues and some of my mentors. We fly to Scotland, and I am a chaperone slash actor, and I'm compensated in the form of, like, some souvenirs and some dinners, <laughs> you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm a chaperone slash actor, and I'm also helping, you know, set up and break down because it's a and fringe festival. And are you festival. so happy? Oh, my God, it's a time You're of my so life. Happy. I'm exhausted all the time. It yeah. is. I'm just like having a blast. And I come back, um, and the first thing that I get is I, I get a call uh, from from Paul Davis, who's a lovely casting director. Um, and he says, hey, so uh, John Simpkins, who is my uh, – who was one of my teachers in college, really like the main guy. Um, he's uh, directing a play at fifty nine fifty nine, um, and it's you know it's a five person play, and you know pays uh, three hundred bucks a week, and uh, you know we'd like to have you come in and audition for it. And uh, and that was my first job, and it was like the it was the fall after I had graduated, and I was working now at my high school. Um, I was there. So you're living at home again? No, I'm living in my 
my Park Slope apartment where I still live, where I moved in my junior year, and I'm commuting. So I'm getting up at 6 a.m. I'm getting on the 710 train at Atlantic Terminal and taking the Long Island Railroad out to Locust Valley. so sexy, Will. When I can wrangle a ride, I'm getting a ride (laughs) from the train station to Friends Academy, and I'm arriving at like, you know, 10 minutes to 9. And when I can't wrangle a ride, I'm walking, and I arrive at like five minutes after 9. I work there as their assistant technical director and resident lighting designer. Um, so you light? I do. I oh yes, it's I do all kinds of stuff. This that, is incredible. It's but very when fun. you were saying earlier yeah. about like I love theater, but I I have all these other interests. You yeah. even have other things you can do within the theater. Exactly. Yeah, and I've worked as an electrician, and that's been a great. That's actually been a great source of like day job support for me. So I'm the the resident lighting designer there. I'm designing their production of As You Like It in the fall, which is set in like the Dust Bowl Midwest. So you're doing um, some creative lighting. Yeah, I work there in until four. And then I get on the 4.30 train and I commute back into Manhattan and I get off at Penn Station and I go up to East 59th Street and I have a 6.30 call for a seven o'clock show. And you're in an off-Broadway show. And I'm in an off-Broadway play. Now, are you equity? I am not at this point. Oh, hell no. This is like, this is Were you equity before Dear Evan Hansen? I was, but... I had it, I had just gotten my equity card. I had turned it down Phew. twice. Yeah, I had turned it down twice before Dear Evan Hansen. Well, I would, they would have given it to me. I hope so. I would hope so. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just joined SAG last week. That's so exciting. It is very exciting. It's very expensive. Uh, it's crazy. Okay, so you get this play. Yeah, I get the play. And what a tribute and testament to your, like, sometimes you go through school and the teacher said you're really good. Your teacher actually cast you yeah. within a year after graduating. Yeah. So that must have been He a... did it again, too, a year later. He's really been John, a great... Be- John Simpkins. We love you. We love you, John Simpkins. He's now the head of the program at Penn State. If you're looking at musical theater programs, go study with John Simpkins. He taught me nearly everything. Between Tracy Foster at Friends Academy and John Simpkins, nearly everything I know. Unbelievable. Um, with a yeah. little Michael Greif. Exactly. With a little, who? who? Never heard of him. That hack. Oh, my God. I'm so worried about Michael Greif. Is he going to be all right? Is he going to be all right? Is his career going to, going to survive? Like, I mean, I really... You know what? Let's he's hope. Got, he's promising. He's, he's, he's a promising burgeoning... He's an emerging director. An emerging genius <laughs> director. So funny. I knew Michael Greif. My moment like yours mm-hmm. after school is I got cast in the Unicorn Theater Company, which was the non-equity company of the Berkshire Theater Festival. Oh, yeah. And that summer, there was a director named Michael Greif, who was also just starting out, and he directed a production of Cloud Nine yeah. that I was cast in. And I was like, in love immediately. We had the best time. And he's I was like, wonderful. He's my friend for my whole life. And then we came back to the city, and he, an old friend of it asked him to come direct something called Machinal, a oh, play yeah. at my theater company called Naked Angels. Yes. And so I really did know Michael Greif, yeah. all kidding aside, when we're like promising. When he was I was like, this guy director. seems really special. Yeah. Um, and then Rent happened, and a lot of people agreed with me. But that was a very exciting yeah. thing to kind of watch. Uh, That's amazing. That's unbelievable. I love that so much. the rise of those sorts of talents and be there before everyone else kind of knew who they were. It's very exciting. And I feel that way um, having seen you and Ben in Ben Platt in what was the In the, the name? Black Suits. In the Black Suits. So that yes. is the other job that John Simpkins gave me. John! <laughs> John's got an eye for talent. Yeah. I would like to. I would like to point out that we did uh, two productions of the Black Suits in a workshop that I was involved with. Yeah. The first one, Ben Platt played the lead, Chris Thurzer. In the workshop, Ben was unavailable, and Taylor Trench played Chris Thurzer. And then in the third production, a fellow named Kobe Getzig, who would also be a really good Evan Hansen, played Chris Thurzer, the lead. So I, I finished the you know the play, and then I was like, I did like a, I did Wonderful Town at the Gallery Players, and that was like terrible, um, but it was fun. But it wasn't fun, actually. I look back on it, and it's fun, but it was no fun at the time. And then John was like, yeah, so I actually saw the black suits at the public. They did, like, a staged reading of it in 2008. And so it was my summer after my freshman year of college, and I had met Joe Iconis that year, and we had become friends, and he's such a great writer and uh, and a dear friend Joe to me Iconis now. Joe and the family? Yeah. Is that the name? Okay. That's, yeah. And so, John, you know, Joe is Joe and John are, like, some of my dearest friends in the whole world. And, uh, and so I went to see Joe's 
his great musical that they were doing at the at the public in like you know in a little no frills production that summer, and I loved it. I was like, this is the this is the best show. I love this show. It's about a Long Island garage band, and like I just I connect with it, and it's like there's fun little like things like places I know, and I just think this is such a beautiful story. It's got like a stand by me kind of like coming of age tale in it. And um, great music. Great, Great music, songs. yeah. You know, like that song "Blue Hair" that everybody loves in that show, and it's, so I just loved it, loved it, loved it. And then John was like, "So we're doing, we're doing a reading of it in like April. Wondering if you'd be available to come do the reading." I was like, "Sign me up!" So I went and I did the reading of it. And then he was like, "So you know, this is after the reading. He was like, you know, we're doing a, we're gonna do, we're gonna have auditions for this. We're doing it at Barrington Stage Company this summer, and uh, you know, I really want you to come in for it. But here's the thing," he said, "they don't want." any of like Joe's people and my people to be in the show. So when you come to the audition, please, you know, like be familiar, you know, don't act like you don't know us, but like, don't, don't be too familiar with us. And don't I, point your corn cobs at us. Don't point your corn cobs at me, young man. You sing to Bill Finn, all right? <laughs> Bill Finn, by the way. Love Bill Finn. Yes. Oh, God, Bill. Bill was crazy in those callbacks. Um, Bill's still crazy. I love, I, I'd tell him to, to his face. Okay. Um, so we, so I auditioned for it and, uh, and, and we, I got it. Um, and that was how I met Ben Platt. And, and John was like, yeah, we found this kid. He's 18. He's going to Columbia in the fall. He's like crazy talented. Um, you know, and then we got this other guy, his name's Harrison and he was in Carolina Change on Broadway and blah, blah. And so like, you know, we get up there and it's this summer and it's me and Ben Platt and our friend Harrison Chad, who it turns out they were both in Carolina Change at different points in the same production. And uh, and this talented young lady named Sarah Citrullo and this guy named Jason Height and Annie Golden. Like it was the incredible dream team up at Barrington that summer. Um, and it was like the show was beautiful. Um and it like kind of broke my heart a little bit, the show, because I like in my own mind had like built these designs of like, oh, this is going to be it. Like this is going to be my Broadway debut. Right. The show's gonna the show is so in. good mm -hmm. and it's going to we're going to everyone's going to love it. Um, you know, we did that production at Barrington then we did that workshop and then we brought it to uh, Center Theater Group out in L.A. We did it out there. We were so excited. Um, and then there was like this, these issues with the producer who sort of said she had some money. It turns out she didn't have the money and like, you know, a donor at the theater sort of covered the gap. But so now we're like out in LA and like no one's paying to have John and Joe out there with us and there's no producer and the reviews come out and they're bad. And like, you know, the, the guy at the LA Times just hated it for no reason at all. He got all kinds of things wrong in his review. It was clear that he wasn't even paying attention. And then, uh, and then that was it. Right. And then I like came back, it was like Thanksgiving, and I had a hernia. I had done the whole production with a hernia. I wore this weird belt to keep my hernia in. <laughs> so I came home. And I'm really I, sorry. <laughs> heartbroken with my hernia. And I, uh, and I had hernia surgery. Right, like you do. I was healed, it was my right. second hernia, it was on both sides. Okay. Gotcha. I knew that would get you. It's so sad. <laughs> yes, go on. Because I am only, I know there's a happy ending. Otherwise, I'd be on the there floor is. sobbing. So I, I, yeah, so I'm home now. It's Christmas. And I do uh, the Christmas show with Joe. Uh, you know, Joy Connors does this great Christmas show every year. Come to it. It's 54 Below. It's the most fun in the world. It was the first year that we were at 54 Below. The second year, actually. But it was the first year that Jen Tepper worked there. She got the job while we were out doing the black suits in L.A. That's it was amazing. Exciting. It was a magical time. So we did Christmas, and then it was January, and it was cold. It was February, and it was cold. Um, and then I met a nice lady at a bar who is now my girlfriend three and a half years later. Mazel. Yeah. Mazel we, we met at Characters across That's the street from 54 sweet. Below. So at some point, you get a call to audition for a reading. Yes. This is six the, months later. As the story goes. Exactly. I'm the, de something... the dejected young man who gets yes. invited to audition for the untitled Pasek Paul Levinson musical that Michael Greif is directing. Um, and I actually had booked a nymph show in the meanwhile. So I was very excited. I'm developing a new musical. And I feel good again. it's always great to go in when you already have a job. Yeah. You always feel better. Everyone's nicer to you. Intense. Yeah, and, right? the, and the casting director's, oh, it's so good to see you. Oh, my God, thanks for, thanks coming, for in. coming in. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for making time for us is what the the, the dialogue becomes when you're Amazing. in a show. It's like, you know I'm in a show. I'm free all day. That's like right. I have nothing to do. So walk us through your first audition for Dear Evan Hansen. Okay, so I'm in the hallway, 
And I run into uh, my friend Elise, who is a spectacularly talented actor. Her name is Elise Allen Lewis, and she was in Mamma Mia, and she was in Disaster, and Amelie, and uh, we actually just did a reading together this morning at NAMT. Um, so we're in that nymph show together. And I run into her in the lobby at Pearl. I was like, oh, were you auditioning for this this Basketball Levinson show? She goes, yeah, it went terrible. I was like, oh, great. Okay. Uh. <laughs> and see then you I tonight. Walk, see you tonight. Yeah. Um, and then I get up to the hallway and I like look around and I'm like, oh, this is like, this is kind of a who's who of like young musical theater actors who I like, I you know, whether or not I have a personal relationship with everybody in this hallway, I know everyone in this hallway. And I was like, how the fuck did I get in here, <laughs> first of all? Um, and then I ran into uh, this actor whose name I'm not going to say because I'm classy, but I'll say it to you later. Okay. Um, but this actor who uh, I don't really like. Um, and in that sort of that six months since I had gotten back from the black suits, I'd seen him at a bunch of auditions. Um, and he had sort of psyched me out like in the hallway. I don't know if he did it on purpose. It kind of felt like he was doing it on purpose, but like our perceptions are inherently skewed in those moments when the power relationship is uneven. And he had like booked some of the jobs that like I had been in for. And I was like, oh, fuck, here's this guy. So he went right before me. And I was like listening to his audition while like going over my sides, and I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna book it. Like, you know, I do all this stuff with Joe Iconis, and these Pesca and Pesquimpal aren't gonna want me, and you know, I don't belong here. So I went in and I did my audition, and I sang uh, a great uh, cut of "Man Up" from the Book of Mormon that I have from the six times that I've auditioned for that role. Uh, then also not gotten it, um, uh -huh. but I keep the cut because it's like a really nice 32-bar cut that shows off voice and character, and that's almost what they're asking for. So I sang that. Uh, it went over well, um, and then I did the the sides, and the sides were uh, the first scene, you know, where I come in and make fun of him and accuse him of jerking off, um, and the last scene where he, t you know, it reveals that I have no friends, and I say, fuck you, and I run away. Um and I walked out of the room and I was like, well, I like that went pretty well, but like, I just don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Um, and to this day, I imagine this sort of like scenario where like, you know, all these people are there. Um, and in my head, the person who was like, that's the guy had to have been Michael Greif. Like in hindsight, having known about the situation, who I was at the time, what everybody was prioritizing. And like, I, I like know in my heart, we've never talked about it. Michael was sort of probably like looked to his left and looked to his right and sort of like nodded and was like, that's it, right? Let's try that. You know, it's a week long, you know, reading. It's a, I'm getting paid a hundred bucks. It's no stakes. If I suck, you get somebody else. And, uh, and uh, so I, I booked it. And, uh, and it was the kind of scenario where, um, I had tech for the Nymph show the same week as the reading. And so I sat down with, uh, with Tom Caruso, who was directing the Nymph show. And I was like, Tom, uh, so I booked this reading and you have to work with me because I will quit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I hate that I'm saying yeah. this at all. I feel disgusting, like, b giving you this ultimatum. But, like, I'll give Nymph their $1,300 back. And, like, I, I have to do this reading. I have to. Um, and everybody worked with everybody. It was really great. I didn't have to drop out of any shows. I had a fun time. And is everyone um, who was in that reading uh, who's in the cast right now? So, um, uh, Rachel Bay Jones and Jennifer Laura Thompson and Ben Platt and Michael Park... Uh, we're all doing their second reading at that okay. point. And Mike Feist and I, it was our first day. And at that point, Barrett Wilbert Weed was playing Zoe. Uh, and a girl named Emily Walton was playing Alana. And there were four or five other, uh, like, ensemble, like, kids at school. So um, it's changed since then. It has. It's changed a lot. It was, like, 300 pages. And it was, like, you know, this, like, snarky Facebook musical that was kind of, like, a little less uh like reverent and real and a little more like commenting on like look what fools we are in our you know in our modern age um it this you know what it has become is a much more sort of grounded concrete story about a boy his family his friends and and the world at large um so when you think back to that time yeah and you think back to what Dear Evan Hansen has become in three years since that reading. Yeah. So the development process happened with you guys. Yes. Right? And and it was developed on you and from you. 100%. Are there things in that show that came out of you directly? Um, you know, I yes, absolutely. I All am of it. 
all of it is. I wrote it. Um, no, but I, uh, I'm one of those actors who, just because of the way I was trained, and the, you know, I'm the kind of person who I don't really like to ad lib. I don't really like to suggest lines. I'm not. I don't want to change stuff. Like I want to. You give me lines, and I say them as best I can. And you, the writer, get excited about things I do well and get excited about adjusting things that I don't do well or Mm -hmm. cutting them. And I think that for me and Stephen, that was a really wonderful working relationship. Stephen Levinson. Stephen Levinson, our book writer. Yeah, yeah, because – Well, the irony is that you have sort of this – less singing or less of your own songs. Yeah. And, and this is such a big acting no, show I, I for you. I have six bars of solo singing in the yeah. whole play. I mean, obviously you're singing the whole time. I'm singing a lot, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, so, and, and I had a song at the time. Um, I had this crazy song called Going Viral that was like a big punk rock, like patter song, dance number. Do you remember any of it or how it began or is it uh, I do. I don't, don't want to sing any of it. It's really, it's it's like, it's it's it hurts me. That is Plus gone. I think I get in trouble, yeah. But that it's no longer. Yeah, no, but it's also, but it's it's like, it's good that it's gone. Like that was the tough thing. Like Michael called me the day before we were starting rehearsals for D.C. to tell me that it was gone. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. And he's like, I think you'll find that it gets us to the action of the play much more quickly. Yeah. And we will be very happy with the adjustment it makes to the tone. And uh, he was totally right. And I knew he was right. Actually, the nightmare was like he called and he was like, Will... I'm calling with some bad news. And no. I was like, I'm cut. I'm cut. I'm cut yeah. from the play. I'm no. cut from the play. I'm now going to be played. It's now going to be like a, like a girl. They needed another girl in the play. Or so, oh, they cut the character entirely. They combined it with Alana. And they figured that was the right move. And I, I was like, I went everywhere. Yeah. And he was like, we've had to cut going viral. And I was like, oh, phew. <laughs> but I'm still in it. Yeah, I'm in the play, though. He right. goes, yes. And I think you'll find that there have been some adjustments to the book. And you'll be quite happy with the amount of material that remains. Mains. Okay. And, uh, and well, we'll see, won't we, Michael? Yeah, we'll we'll see how it yes. goes with the read through tomorrow, yeah. sir. Yeah. And then I went to the Whole Foods in Gowanus, and I I got drunk because I was bummed out. Yeah, your <laughs> with song my was roommate, gone. my song was gone, and I was like, oh, you know, like even though I I believed Michael, I was like, you know, I, I it's still a great character, and actually, since then, a lot of content has been added for Jared. Like sure. so all so much stuff. He in was the telling second the act. truth. He was telling the truth. He really meant it. He's a very smart director who knows what he's doing. Um but at the time I was like, you know, there's a weird perception though in our industry. It's like having a song somehow inflates the size of the role a little yeah. bit. And so I was just I was just like a little conscious of that. Like, oh like now it's going to be viewed even though it won't functionally be that way or feel that way during the show, when people talk about the show, it'll make you know it'll make it like it's in a weird ranking. But way. that has not happened. No, it hasn't, that which is, is really not lovely. Because yeah. when you see Dear Evan Hansen, if you can see Dear Evan Hansen, there is nothing um, about what you're doing that is less than or sidebar. It's right. so completely front and center to the story and driving the story forward. And you had developed such a brilliantly complex, full human in the play. It's thrilling. And you're in a play. You get to be in a play. Yeah, that exactly. is a musical. I get to be in a play and, and sing backups, which is great, actually. It's a it's, great CD. Yeah, it's a wonderful album. Oh, yeah, I love the album CD. and I love the, yeah, and I love the, like, you know, the whole, a lot of content. I got to do a lot more when that song went away, which was really fun for me. You know, I I got to sort of all the stuff in the second act where you sort of go on this journey with Jared a little bit about like you sort of watch his and Evan's friendship deteriorate. Like that didn't exist in D.C. And it certainly didn't exist before that when I had, you know, when I had the number and everything. So it's like it goes back to like these things have a way of working themselves out in the right way. Because you and Ben had had a prior relationship in that other play that you were friends in. Yeah. Uh, you weren't rivals, as I recall. No, he in played in an anxiety-riddled high school senior. Right. <laughs> you know, at much, mm. and I played his uh, snarky, uh, perverted friend. Um, and and uh, yeah, so not a lot has changed between us. But it must have been kind of amazing to go in oh, knowing each wonderful. other already. Yeah. I, I, he was the only person I knew on the first day. I walked into that room. I knew nothing about it. They were, it was so cloak and dagger. It was so secret. And then I walked in and I was like, Ben Platt is here. Oh, thank God. Like, you know, and then I, you know, I got to know everyone else, obviously, but he was the guy I knew on that first day of school, as it were. So talk me through a little bit because 
it's really huge. Yeah, it's um, a big deal. And you're at the center of it. And I imagine your life has changed in certain ways. So how are you doing? Um, I'm doing good. Yeah. It's really nice. Um, it's, it's a long run now. It's been a long run. That's a weird thing to adjust to. Um, you kind of are reminded of how important your technique is um, because have as an actor. Have you had vocal trouble or have you been able to? Um, you know, I've been okay. I had a little trouble around Tony season, as I think everyone did, just because we were doing so much extra sure. stuff. Just and, so and, much press and rehearsal um, for the Tonys as yeah. well and all that stuff. Right. But uh, no, for me, it's actually more about the acting technique. It's about like this idea that you have to sort of like – Put yourself in a neutral place and remind yourself of your intentions and just say the words as simply as possible because any tricks that you may have been using to get through before that are not going to work on show 500 and whatever we're on. You know, it's like it. I'm constantly reminded of how much I need to just like say the lines. Um, and then it works, you know, and, and people say like, how do you keep it fresh and like, I think there's a bit of a misnomer in that because uh, if you come see my show in previews, I'm not any more or less emotionally uh, invested in it than I am when you see the 300th show. The difference is it is at previews, I'm trying to figure out where to stand. So, you know, so there's always, or like maybe you'll see it right after previews. And now I'm very concerned because there might be press in the audience and or Tony voters or, you know, whatever. And so there's always something in your brain that is not the play. And the trick is if you are doing technically sound work, you will still do the play well despite those distractions. Sure. And so when those distractions are gone and all you have is the play, that's the moment where you're like, oh, I really need to like sink into these words and these actions and these things, these relationships, because... Otherwise, I'm you know it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna wander away with my mind, right? You know, and and it's my recollection when I've done a few very long runs, and it would happen mostly on a two show day. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when we did your good man Charlie Brown, we had three show days at one Whoa. point, which was this insane what? like. That's crazy. If we gave you Monday and Tuesday off, could you do seventeen shows on Saturday? We we're like, that's that's a lot of shows. BD, oh BD, is that okay? I think he, BD Wong was our equity deputy. <laughs> is, that, um, is that in the rules? That's, he goes, that's ah, like I a think lot so. of shows. Like, are we at Macy's? Maybe. Who What's knows? Happening? Yeah. But I remember I would say a line and be like, "Did I already say that?" Yeah. Oh no, that was the matinee. Like you would get like. I get a cold sweat in my lower back. I right. get it midway through a line when I'm like, I don't know if I said the beginning of this line. Or... <laughs> it's. And like, it just, it's like all the hairs on my arms stand on end. I get a cold sweat in my low back, and I'm like, well, there's nothing to do now. Whatever came no out, one's came out. At me funny. You no don't one's even acting. know. <laughs> and that's the other thing. I don't get to look at anyone. Right. It's I'm all... playing out, I'm direct addressed the whole play yes. for the most part. But at this point, the audience knows your play so well, they probably could help you out. Oh my God, there literally. are repeat offenders. I could just as call for a line, and it'll come to me from the mezzanine or the when front it, row. Right. Z102 is like, no, yeah. you have, you didn't say it yet. Um, <laughs> That's the wrong slide. <laughs> the slide is not oh matching. So so you are playing someone who, um, there are many characters who are perceived as angels in this play, like Zoe and the yeah, mom. Yeah, right. And then, and then Jared is sort of perceived as, as the bully A little in bit. the show. And there's so much contact with your audience outside of the play itself. Yeah. Um, so how is has that been for you to become super famous, super fast at the center of this incredibly vulnerable, beautiful piece that's a lot social commentary and then just really a play about a family, yeah. as you said? You know, I, I think that uh, the whole, the, 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 the publicity and the fan aspect of the show has been very overwhelming for me. Um, I, uh, you know, it's very like the way I walk through Midtown is very different and I'm very like head down. You know, I don't really like to, especially after the show, I don't really want to take pictures. I don't want to sign things. And it's just because, uh, the show is so fatiguing. I mean, even though I'm in like, I'm in like one of the more comedic, I mean the comedic role. Um, and I, you know, I don't have to like ball my eyes out, but, um, it is so exhausting and it feels so like it's so unaffected. Like there's no like character. It's like me 
making like minor tweaks to like what I instinctively do to make myself a little more coarse and a little but less emotionally like intelligent. You. Yeah, but it feels very much like me. So in that regard, it feels very vulnerable. Um, and then it's very difficult for me when people can't separate the character I play in the play from A, the person who I am, but between those two things, like the actor brand that I put out in the world. You know, so it's like... What does that mean, the actor brand? Well, I think like, you know, like in the age of social media, you know, especially our show has asked us to be very active um, and to, you know, to, to tweet or to be on Instagram or to be on whatever... To be and, available to your audience, yeah. Well, to to aid in sort of raising the profile of the show, you know, and and it's you know they want us to be to to be accessible and to be humans and to be ourselves. Um, but the problem for me is that I I and you know I think I vary from some of my colleagues in this way. Like I have no interest in putting like myself out for the world because there's no real way to do that. So what I put out there is like what I want to what I want to put out to the world, which I think is what we all put on social media and we misconstrue it as who the you know who everybody is, but I'm like, you know, if we're like out late at night, I don't want to like put like us at the bar on my snap story like we're we're off duty. You know, that's like this is my time. Um but I love to use social media to like promote things I like and like announce things that I'm doing and you know sort of like uh, lately, I've I've been uh, tweeting a lot about bowling, uh, which I think like uh, is really I think people are very confused by that. I sort of like the chaos that that in, 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 sows in the world. Um, yeah, but like one of my favorite things is like you know if like my friend Joy Clonis is doing a show, like I'll just tweet the shit out of that because I believe you know I have twenty five thousand Twitter followers, or whatever it is. I believe every one of them would be better off if they went to see that show. Right. And I'm still in my life trying to figure out like oh like I wonder if anyone will buy a ticket to the show. Like, if, I, if I tweet to 25,000 people, can I sell one ticket? I don't know. Right. You know? And I'm well, still we'll look at the out. analytics. Yeah, that. exactly. We'll find the conversions. Well, what is the response to you when people see you offstage? Do they treat you like Jared and they get into it with you? Are they mad at you for being mad? At, <laughs> to, do they take it personally in some way and feel like they have to defend Evan Hansen to you? You know, sometimes people will say these things like, you know, I, I haven't gone out and done the stage door in a while, but, you know, people invariably every night someone would say something like hey you know you're a real jerk but you're funny and I'm like oh I get that you think that's funny but it's not funny it's just it's annoying does that hurt your feelings it does it hurts my feelings he just it's called like, you a jerk yeah someone just called you're me a, a human jerk. being yeah but I'm not a human being I'm an actor to them and so it's like it's a, I'm a character do you get recognized all the time all the time and and there are certain places where I'm a little like my guard is down a little bit more so like you know, like I was, I was on the street in Park Slope where I live, and someone was like, someone was like, oh, like you, you were in the play, like I loved the play on you know, the show, blah blah blah. Like, do you mind taking a picture? Like, my daughter's gonna be so jealous that we met. And I'm like, oh, sure, that's fine. When you look back at the beginning, does it make sense to you that Dear Evan Hansen exploded in the way that it did? Did I think it happen? So gradually when you're inside it or did it feel like a, a tsunami of sorts you know it definitely um we knew the show was special um from the beginning you know from that first reading i mean we're all sitting around we're wiping the tears out of our mm -hmm. eyes and we're like oh this is a this is an amazing moment that we're in here in that moment, you don't know what's going to happen with the show. And I was fresh off this heartbreak from The Black Suits, right. which was a show that meant so much to me and had a similar kind of feeling. Like you're in the room and you're like, this is special. There's something happening here. Um, so I was kind of cautious because I, I, I was like, this show's great. But like, are people going to like it? Are people going to be? Are people who write about it going to be kind to it and kind to the people in it? Um, you know. And then, like, we got into performances in D.C. and there were people very excited about the show, which was really amazing. I mean, there were people who were like, "I flew here from Seattle because How, I loved Next to Normal, and I heard this was uh, Michael Greif's new play." Or I love Bench Passick and Justin Paul. Or I love. Uh, ben Platter, I love Michael Greif, or I love, uh, you know, Michael Park. I'm a big As the World Turns fan, or I loved Laura Dreyfus on Glee, you know. So these people were very excited. So we only got people who were, like, really invested at first, and D.C. theatergoers. Right. Um, but, you know, I had friends, like, come down from, from the city. It was very easy to get to by train, but it was big from the beginning. The response was big, and the stage door in D.C. was very pleasant because it was, like, you know, there were never more than, like, a dozen people out there, and they all had, like, 
very, you know, the, the, the show had clearly affected them. Yeah. Um, you know, and the theater was telling us, like, oh, this is, you know, we don't usually get this here. We're not used to having people hanging out at the stage door. So this is very cool. So there was, it got buzzy at that moment. And then we got great notices, you know, great reviews. And then we came to New York and we made some pretty major changes from D.C. to New York. We, you know, three new songs went in and some scenes went out and some scenes went in. And all that stuff happened. Um, and we were like... Uh, you know, then, you know, now we're like, okay, so it was like, it went well in D.C., but like, is How it going to go, go well in New York? New York? I right. mean, this is what really, this is it. This is what matters. Um, and and again, it was, you know, I mean, the, the, our opening night at Second Stage, the most incredible thing happened. Um, we finished the show and we bowed and they applauded and we went upstairs and uh, I, I truly like had my shirt off. I was changing and there was a page and Judy, our stage manager, paged us and said, um, would the acting company please return to the stage? They want you to take another bow. They had Those 300 people had not stopped applauding in the time it took us to climb four flights of stairs and come back down. And that was, that was the moment, I think, for me where I was like, oh, this is going to be enormous. And now you have Beyonce. And, and Beyonce really liked it. She did really like it. She did. She but was very confident. every night it's sort of a Beyonce. There's... Yeah, we've had some, some people whose work I uh, am just over the moon about. I mean, I love Beyonce. I, I think it's cool to meet like very famous people. It was cool to meet like Katy Perry and Cory Booker. But like, uh, but like um, Rick Moranis came to the play and, and, uh, and Julianne Moore and Gary Oldman and like these actors whose work I think is like the greatest acting in anyone has ever done and then they like look me in the eyes and they're like they tell me something insightful about my work and and it goes back to that need for compliments that I'm yes, seeking which is what started the whole thing but it, but it really i mean it, it it's it's something to me when someone whose work i respect so incredibly makes an insightful observation about my work whether or not they're saying something nice i mean Usually you say something nice because if you don't have something nice to say, you don't say anything at all. Yes. But, you know, but to have someone like uh, Steve Carell is another one, like it's such a beautiful, heartful actor who's also so funny and so smart and seems to be have so much agency over the work he creates. To have him like comment on the character that I've developed is like... So like how my does it mind work? Explodes. Like does stage management let you know? Like I guess we have a little whiteboard with yes. names on it. And they, and <laughs> Is they that say, what happens? Yes, and there's never the a guarantee that any of those people will visit. But they saw the show this evening, and and you know hopefully they will. They'll be in the Bloomingdale's in the Bloomingdale's blue room. blue room. That's how it happens. Yeah. Well, I got to go in the Bloomingdale's blue room, <laughs> and you were very super sweet to oh. us. And uh, now that are you staying with the show? Uh, I am. I'll be around until May. Until May, yeah. So it's going to feel new and different now. Yeah, it's gonna, it's going to be uh, it's going to be wonderful. I can't wait to get Noah and Taylor in. Um, Is everybody else staying for now? Uh, everybody's going to be around at least through I think March, April, May is all sort of when we'll start to trickle out for various other things or whatever else is going on or maybe, maybe just back to the day job for me or yes. maybe a vacation. Lighting design, yeah, lighting design, the auction house, the you know. Will you? are so brilliant in this show. I am so sorry for people who misconstrue your character and you because you're both hilarious, but you ooze empathy and kindness. And uh, what you bring to that show is remarkable. Thank you, Thank Will. you so much, Alana. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media, located in Times Square. 
ProMedia offers both production and post-production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. ProMedia Sound Vision. Find out more at ProMedia.nyc. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wendt. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.